Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Thank God for David Attenborough. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Thank God for David Attenborough. My name is Ben Elwood, and my guest today is returning champion, Associate Professor Matthew Crowther from Sydney University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Today, we discuss all things mammal. We get into predators and prey. We get into whales, the ethics of meat eating, and the origin of emotions. As we sat down together to watch episodes ten and eleven of Sir David Attenborough's Life on Earth. Theme and variations, and the hunters and the hunted. Squirrel, rabbit, hippopotamus, monkeys, bats, whales. All those creatures are so very different. And some of those variations are so extreme that, were it not for the evidence of the anatomy and fossils, it is difficult to believe that there's any connection between them. They are, in fact, closely related to one another. They are all mammals. Thanks for doing this face to face instead of on Zoom. For, from like, obviously, you know, you know a lot about mammals and the way we yeah. work and all that stuff. It seems completely incongruent for us, just on evolutionary biological sense, to be talking to each other through screens. It, well, it is. It's a lot because again, we've we've got a number of senses that mm. we use for communication. Yeah. And one of them is visual. Yeah. And, well, you don't have to be an, an expert in psychology or biology to know that, you know, a lot of communication is non, non-verbal. non yeah. It's like, it's, it's, uh, like you know, just so you're nodding your head, like, yeah. I wouldn't even know they're nodding their of head. Of course, like, yeah. Would they, would they agree? You say, oh, no, he's talking crap. I, I'm just not going to let him know. <laughs> it's just a black screen there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't, so that's not natural to be sort of like staring at screens. At the moment, every meeting, a lot of my colleagues are going, can we do this in person? We're going to do it in person. Like, totally. So we, we do it. And even the other day I had, she's a lawyer from the EPA because I'm doing some court case 
the lawyer the other day, she said, I'm going to come into your office because I, I can't stand another Zoom. I th- I, I've often thought that if, if, you know, a lot of the kind of complication that we're dealing with now in the last couple of decades is this removal of all of those microtels that face-to-face communication have. Yeah, and I think actually, problematically, I think we've we've already trained children of society into this type of communication because mm. they use you know, social media and apps. So even if they play games, that's the way they communicate with each other. And they're lacking a whole lot of skills. Yeah. Like I saw a talk. It was Jonathan Haidt. Before the lockdown, he's a psychologist from the US. He thought social media was the worst thing that yeah. ever happened to everyone. But he was just talking about, like, young men are not even going having sex anymore. No, absolutely. Because they they get it all online. and they Yeah. And now it's VR and everything. And so, like, I've talked to a bunch of young 20-year-olds about this, and they're like, oh, what's the point? It just seems easier. Yeah, you don't get rejected by the cam girl. (laughs) 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 Do you think from an evolutionary perspective that that's just going to completely stuff us up as a... Well, that should... That really should, because... That is evolution. Is it's it's sex and death is evolution. Yeah. Like <laughs> if you don't do that, you don't get any yeah, passing yeah, yeah. on to the offspring. So I think so in that way it will. I think socially, yeah. I think the problem is socially, especially social evolution. I think we've stuffed ourselves up because well, we've got these senses again. Everything from our lifestyles that we've got senses that were developed over millions of years yeah. for, for, for like. Getting food and getting away from things and, you yep. know, finding mates and doing all those things that we need to do as a species. And then and that's sort of taken it all the way where you just sit there where you don't, like, oh, I'll just I'll do an Uber Eats and then I'll just look at a cam girl yeah. and then I'll look at whatever, like, like there's sex nothing. And, sex and food. Sex and food. I'll take care of in my home. I don't have to go anywhere. So yeah. Don't have to escape any predators. Like it's all there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I very much worry seeing that kind of you know anxiety disorders and yeah. and this outsourcing of your sense of self worth or yeah. you know to an algorithm or to bots or whatever. And it's, oh it's, yeah. You know, I. It just seems like that first, especially fifteen years, is when all the wiring's being put in, and if yeah. you're not you know finding some kind of internal resonance or personality of your own. I don't, I just don't, I don't see where yeah. it's all going. Well, they're being really tricky because they employ psychologists in that too. So things such as a, that work socially, like acceptance and things like that, like they've put it down to a like on a post in a yeah. Instagram or Facebook. So people, which doesn't give you anything, but it affects their psychology so much. Like someone puts a, themselves wearing a dress or something and then, well, the worst things is if there's no one even likes it. Yes, of course. <laughs> to them, to them, yeah. them, because we've created that sort of social capital. Yeah. And or then someone says, oh, you look crap or whatever. <laughs> you look yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you have this major sort of, and this is why they're talking about social impacts, about um, especially young girls, apparently suicide rates have been up. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole lot of things I'm saying. Less people are driving. Less people are doing a lot of these skills that people did. Because mm-hmm. why drive? Where are you going to go? <laughs> like, like, and yeah, all yeah, of yeah. these skills. And again, of course, lockdowns and that don't help this type yeah. of thing. But um, but it's almost that they were sort of almost pre <laughs> pre adapted to. Oh, that absolutely! Lifestyle, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I I got rid of the internet in my home about two years ago, so there's no internet at home at all, and I don't have a smartphone. And I noticed within six months my psychology improving dramatically. <laughs> yes, it dramatically. Would. It Concentration, would. memory, 
sense of self-worth, you know, yeah. actually having to fight, actually having to do something to feel good at the end of the day rather than, you know, whatever, getting lost down a YouTube black hole yeah. or putting a funny meme out there yeah. and hoping that everyone likes it. Yeah, well, they don't like my meme. Like, yeah. <laughs> I failed as a human being. <laughs> We're just sharing something. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. Something that I didn't even create. Some article that I shared and no one liked it. Like, ah, I suck. So you were telling me last time, like with marsupials, there's this advantage of being able to, like with kangaroos, kind of have three on the go at yeah. any time or um, ditch it with not as much investment. Yeah, the marsupials put much more effort into like keeping the mm. adults alive. But see how protective humans are, see how protective mm. elephants are, like to get those young mm. into something that can you know, eventually reproduce themselves. That's an interesting question. Do you think that like... Uh, <laughs> that love and connection and all these very kind of what we would consider human characteristics, but are probably across the mammal world. Like it's, it is that sense of I've invested so much of my time and effort into this, uh, this young that I need to protect so that my genes carry forward. Do you think that the sense of love or protection that we feel as humans is more just a chemical thing than a, than a genuine sense of, human expression of emotion well you could say that about most things that we do it's yeah. just a chemical expression it's basically it gives us an endorphin hit or it gives us a dopamine hit and so things such as a concept of love could be seen as just an evolutionary chemical expression like like people go oh you shouldn't act from eyes but like does a dog love its owner? It acts like it loves its owner yeah, because it has it that it has that bonding yeah. with them. And again, it's probably giving the same hormone rush that we do when we see that dog. So yeah. it's the same type of thing. I know a lot of people just go, oh, no, no, no. And especially, especially you come from more of a theological background. Mm. It's, it's probably say, like, oh no, that's independent. But I, yeah, I think most of it, most of these emotions have developed basically so we can survive, so we can bond, like you got to love that child and there's a bit of an oxytocin thing mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. that causes the bond between mm -hmm. the mother and the and the child. Mm. Yeah. And oxytocin's the feel-good hormone. It's the feel-good hormone. It's one yeah. of the feel-good hormones. It's yeah. the one, it's the mother-child bonding hormone. Right, right. It's so also, the one, yeah. But that's what they always say, that people that are addicted to other things tend to have very low oxytocin. Actually, that's why they experiment with oxytocin to try and get people off drugs. Mm. And other, you know, off gambling, like anything that causes that rush. Yeah. It's an oxytocin. And apparently, because they've done these experiments with rats with oxytocin, it's because they express the same things yeah. in different levels as, as humans do. Uh, obviously, I'm not a scientist and I'm probably talking out of my butt, but I feel like this feeling of love that we feel, yeah, it might have a basis in a chemical reaction. But ultimately, it is our human consciousness and our experiences and all the rest that yeah. add complexity and depth to it. It doesn't mean just because the base of it is a little ping going off in your brain that it's lesser than or that it's not real. It is real. Yeah. Um, it, but then it is just, yeah, the human experience that makes it this mesh and this web of narrative and, and complexity. Yeah, absolutely. It's like our, let's talk about our environment, our social environment. Yeah. They can influence these chemical reactions. Mm, mm. So... It's, it's basically, so that's why across, we can look at right across animals and we can see where things come from. It's all this continuum. And it's, again, it's influenced by social, by culture, yeah. by 
who's around you. Upbringing, yeah. Like I'm, I'm getting onto psychology now, and I will probably, I'll probably trip up. <laughs> There'll be someone calling up. No, no, that's not true. That's, we'll turn into one of those. Jordan Peterson podcast. <laughs> Please no. Yeah, no. And then you just tidy your room, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> like, and then, because um, <laughs> it was funny, I was listening, flicking through, and he was listening to someone because he always uses lobsters and hierarchies. And oh, all does that. he? Oh, he talks about lobsters, about how natural, how lobsters for hierarchies. And someone said, well, how do you relate lobsters to humans? Like, they um, piss out their face. So, again, I suppose that's. You know, that's psychology and the animal behaviours. And it's interesting when you talk to psychologists, there's a crossover in psychology, the PTSD literature, and they're all interconnected. I mean, I used to, I used to work a lot with dogs. And, you know, one of the first things I learned was that dogs yawn mm. when they're anxious. And, you know, it clearly is like a physical yeah. way of like, like getting that stress out. And I noticed that. I mean, I, I, I've got friends that I know very well and I, they start yawning when they're anxious. Yeah. And I wouldn't notice that in them had I not had the experience with dogs and had I not known them really well. But it's like, well, it's a, it's an analogous kind of yeah. act, you know, action of trying to purge this physical feeling. Um, but it feels like you can track all this stuff back. And oh, it, yeah. it feels like the society, especially <sighs> – I think it's an offshoot of some of the more toxic aspects of religion that are very desperate to separate us from nature and the animal world. And we are the ascended species and we have not, nothing in common with animals. Yeah. Um, but failing to realize, no, we, you know, of course everything that we have in us is an offshoot of something that previously existed in nature. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And again, I suppose that's especially those major religions, like you look at Aboriginal spirituality or mm. even paganism, and they're all about nature. And yeah. They're all about nature, interconnection with nature. And yeah. and so Aboriginal people talk about they're part of the landscape. So it's very much like it's only these sort of more recent ones that just say, oh, no, you're man. And I'm going to use the word man because religion doesn't care about yeah. like, sexism. Like, <laughs> actually quite celebrates it. But, you know, yeah, like yeah. – um, you know, man dominates everything. I'm going into theology and I'm going to chip up too. Uh, the earlier church probably wasn't so much like that. Mm. What it was, it's, it went through an institution called Rome, mm. which was all about maintaining mm. hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And even like the most widely used English translation is the King James Version. Mm. It's always sort of that bias towards, you know, let's keep this. Let's keep this dominance right through from emperor down to the national planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's the most toxic. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of toxic aspects of yeah. um, monotheistic religion, but definitely this idea of separateness. I do think it's a big reason we're in the big mess that we're in at the moment. Yes, this idea that we cannot integrate ourselves with nature, that we must conquer it and subdue it, and as though it can be conquered. I mean, I, you know, we can hobble it. And we can mess it up for a few generations, but ultimately it'll turn around and crush us and be fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it will. These creatures live entirely on plants. They're buffalo, and I'm in North America. Gathering sufficient grass to sustain an animal this size takes a long time, up to nine hours a day. Many grass eaters chew the cud like this. And a very convenient technique it is too. It can be done away from the open pasture, lying concealed and comfortable in the shade, or with a head held high if there's a need to keep watch for danger. So he's starting to get into herbivores yes. and um, grass eating. Like what? 
anatomical features are needed to digest and process grass and cellulose. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's really, really hard things to process. Meat is very easy to eat because it's basically already packaged for mm, you. Mm, mm. We only can eat really, really easy vegetables. Mm. And some of them we want to cook just to make them even easier to eat. Yeah. They often have a lot of chemical defences. Mm. There's things such as tannins, which we have in our tea here, yeah. but also also a bit of a defence. Often they're really hard structures. And that's like, because cellulose, the, the cell wall, so it's yeah, not like yeah. a, a, a mushy membrane. It's, yeah. That's why herbivores often have a big cecum. What's that? That's where your microbiome is because the animal doesn't break the cell wall. It's the bacteria. It's the microbiome. I know it's become very trendy to talk about in people, but it's yeah, actually yeah. Is that why critical. everyone's drinking kombucha, right? Well, that's that's one of the things. <laughs> and taking poo pills, you know, like. Because <laughs> apparently, you know, there's a lot of things. Wait, that, wait, wait. Stop for a second. What do you mean poo pills? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I've, heard, I've heard of fecal transplants. Yeah, that's fecal to do with micro, that, microbiomes. That's, that's the thing. Actually, koalas, they give the poo pills to, like, they do the fecal transplants. What, so they actually eat poo pills made of poo? Well, yeah. Well, what's extracted from the poo? Because it's the microbiome. So wait, how, so is that that's different from like probiotics that you get at the chemist, right? Well, no, it, it's see, it's different in some ways. The reason why they do it with koalas is because they they can specialize in certain trees in certain areas. Mm. Like they were trying out in Victoria because they were overeating this these trees, and then there's a few koalas in this other vegetation, and they were hardly they didn't make much an impact. So oh, well, wow. maybe if we can make those ones eat that. Yeah. And so what they did is they extracted it from the koalas that ate that stuff. Wow. They gave them what they called poo pills. Koalas actually get it from their mother. They eat this thing called pup, which is like this sort of soft food type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they eat that young so they can process the eucalypts they leave. That's so, amazing. So herbivores have these diverse microbiomes that can break down those cell walls. Mm. Like try eating, like chewing on a piece of grass. Mm. Try chewing on the eucalyptus leaf. We can't do it. We mm. can't do it. Like they've got specialized teeth that shear it, then it goes through, and then you've got the microbiome in the cecum. Wow. We don't have it much anymore. It's like it's sort of like our appendix. Animals such as koalas have really, really big ones. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the sections of animals, whether it's a kangaroo, whether it's a cow, whether it's a thing, they've got these big cecums in there. And so when you say our appendix is kind of like that's a vestigial. Yes. So when they say that, like, oh, the, the appendix is this useless organ, it's basically just the tail end of uh, some evolutionary. Yeah, we, 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 our ancestors probably ate more complex. Wow, I had no idea. Because we eat really, we eat a mixed diet, mm. but we eat pretty simplistic. Like you're not grazing on the lawn, or you're not eating the leaves, <laughs> like because we can't do it. What would happen if I tried to eat a whole like handfuls of grass? Would I just puke it back up? Well, you you, you wouldn't get anything out of it. Yeah, like you'd just say you said all I've got is grass and no other food. Well, you'd be starving quicker eating the grass than you would yeah. not eating the grass because you're trying to use energy to get something to really. But you wouldn't get anything out of it because you haven't broken it up. So many leaf eaters from the forest found food on the plain. And out of the forest, too, in pursuit of them, came the hunters. Flesh eaters need quite different teeth from vegetarians. Instead of grinders and pulpers, they require the armory of the butcher's shop. With weapons like this around, 
It's hardly surprising that one of the most pressing concerns of the leaf eaters on the plains is to keep out of the way. And and so he's he's now moving on to carnivores. Anatomically, but what are the major like anatomical? Right. First thing, the gut is really simple. Doesn't need that complex microbiome. Eating meat is a really simple thing to do. Most of that food is really really simple to digest. So the the, the digestive system is just so much simpler in a carnivore than a herbivore. Does it have to be? Because I'm mean, I'm assuming a lot of kills that are made, the meat could be filled with bacteria and stuff. So is a is a carnivore a predator's guts filled with, I don't know, like extra acid for killing well, whatever I, it is? I, I don't know. Sometimes it's, that's probably down to the immune system. I suppose, yeah. especially things like I think vultures have very healthy immune systems, particularly because they're going right into the carcasses. And yeah, I've heard that. some messed up things about vultures. Yeah, so they Apparently they they vomit acid all over their feet before they go traipsing around in <laughs> corpses. <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're corpse specialists. So they're, they're eating stuff that you know a lot of ant like like Putrid. It's, it's future. Like we again, there's a lot of arguments about this. About you know, even in our society, again, we come back to modern society that for a kid that goes up in a very clean, clean mm-hmm. house, and their parents say, "Don't, don't go eat that dirt," mm. or whatever, like like most other kids do. Like their immune system's really, really bad. And it's resulted in things such as peanut allergies and things such as that. So. Isn't that crazy? Because when I like not to be like, oh, when I was a kid, but when I was a kid, there were no bans on peanuts and strawberries yeah. and all the rest at school. That seems to be a very modern development. It has, yeah, it has been. I think that's, and they say it's because of the clean. So that's all hand sanitizer. Oh, not just yeah, just hand sanitizer and just not going out and just eating everything. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. clean the dirt. Like so, in a lot of ways, what's talking about maybe these carnivals? They're, they're exposed to these. It's against sure, coevolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the immune system. Like you know, certain things can eat more disgusting things than others because, again, it's about your immune system mm. and maybe it's how your gut is as well. But um, but I think with humans particularly, we have we have really cleaned up everything that we eat. Like, you know, we our animals are treated with antibiotics. Uh, you know, mm. like we, we wash, you know, you wash all your clothes. And especially now, I wonder what's going to happen to the COVID babies. I was just thinking. We yeah. spent two years. <laughs> you know, I've gone, because I never had an issue with germs ever in my life. It's one yeah. of the few things that I haven't got an anxiety, <laughs> anxiety problem about. Yeah. And then... Since COVID, it's like everything that comes into my house gets wiped down with, yeah, oh, yeah. A, you know, an antibacterial wipe and I'm constantly washing my hands. Yeah. And, and I've been like low-level sick for probably the last year. Not, you know, cold and flu, but yeah. just kind of, you know, like run down and yeah. and maybe that's just stress and the times we're living in and everything. But I do wonder, am I just laying waste to all this good bacteria that's kind of or, – or making my immune system fat and lazy so it's just not up to the task of just yeah. protecting me day to day. It will be interesting. I don't know if there's any studies about that, but I I think it will be show up probably more in children, but mm. I think that will be – well, especially children because, again, it's not seen going away. And hygiene will not – will be at record – I suppose high yeah. in hygiene for – because I know everywhere you wipe your hands when you go into places. You know, oh, it's like, constant. Go to the gym and every equipment yeah. like that, which is good because you're not getting colds and flu because it's also destroying those things. So yeah. you're not being exposed to as much things. Yeah. But in some arguments, you're also not being exposed to so many things. <laughs> so we're all going to have peanut allergies in a year from now. <laughs> oh, okay. It's actually quite concerning then that, yeah, are we setting ourselves up for another, yeah. another problem in the future? And it's very hard to tell. 
problem is it's like because Corona is such a big problem right at the moment. Yeah. Like you're not going to consider, well, maybe we should think about something that we don't know about down the future sometime. Mm. <laughs> here's, a, here's a threat that, you know, yeah. cleaning hands, sanitising, they all help like minimise the chance. But we'll see in the future if that's going to have any sort of lead-on effects. It'll be interesting to see what happens with children because, yeah, our immune systems, well, it's good and bad. Like, again, you can't. You know, it's not something you want to play around with. You go, oh, okay, well, we're dead now. But, you know, (laughs) I've tried to go for a healthy immune system, but that was a bit too strong. You know, it's not going to happen like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you want want that sort of balance, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, it definitely seems to be, um, you know, I worked with kids a lot uh, in my previous career and it's so funny parents doing things ostensibly out of good intentions. Yeah. But ultimately, the result is not so great, you know. But then your kids play around in dirt and mud and... I think it's essential. It's, it's essential. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like pushing the kids into the dirt. Push them into the dirt. Go yeah, play yeah, in the yeah. dirt. <laughs> You'll thank me later. During this period, South America, where I am now, became isolated as a gigantic island. The land bridge of Panama sank beneath the sea. Cut off from the rest of the world, the inhabitants of these grasslands developed into forms that, to our eyes, seem very extraordinary indeed. There were huge grazing beasts, bigger than rhinos, and an armoured animal the size of a small car that trundled about beneath the great dome of bone. These vegetarians were preyed on by gigantic flightless birds with beaks like hatchets and hunters with sabre teeth that looked like tigers but bore their young in pouches like kangaroos. The age of the, the massive giant mammals. Oh, yeah, the megafauna. How did they get so big and why did they kind of die off, as a, uh, you know, apart from elephants and a couple of others? So some would say it's, you know, getting big, especially the times of glaciation, being bigger is better in the cold. Mm. So if you're big, you know, you're retaining a lot of heat. There's also, you know, if you're really, really big, it's harder for predators to get you. You know, there's a whole lot of selective pressures mm. that will be. But also getting big automatically means that you have a slow reproductive rate. You can't be like a road and just, you know, yeah. just heaps and heaps yeah. of them. Like an elephant, oh, every couple of years. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of climate change things going on at that time. There's glaciations and interglaciation periods are going there. But also humans started spreading around. Now, they thought that the reason why we still have elephants, for example, is that they knew what humans were like as a predator. They co-evolved. Mm. Humans came out of Africa, went into Eurasia fairly early on. Mm. Again, very simplistic because the whole story is human evolution is really complex it might have been a couple of waves and then, then there was these all these we might have had three or four species of humans like neanderthals then the servants even those hobbits that they have on that flowers island you yeah, know yeah yeah so there's <laughs> all these amazing things going on but what happened and it seemed to coincide that when humans got 40 to fifty thousand years in australia the megafauna went extinct not long afterwards mm. and when they went into north america in South America around 11,000 years ago, the megafauna disappeared because they had like mammoths and the whole of the things. Mm. Um, if you ever go to, um, you're going to see what it's like. If you're ever in Los Angeles, go to the La Vallotapis. Oh, yeah. 
amazing. Oh, yes. Yeah. I went there last time. I was there. Like, it is amazing. It's amazing. So that was what life would have been like when humans first got to, like, L.A. Crazy. <laughs> it's like in the centre of L.A. now. But that's what L.A. was like. Yeah. And it's still got those targets. Those above giant them. sloths. Those giant sloths and all of those animals. This is why they think certain megafauna went extinct. Is like when humans got them, there was a couple of things going on. There's, there's things like predator naivety, i.e. they haven't ever experienced a human-type predator yeah. before. And they, so they've seen that. When sailors used to go down to these islands full of seals and they'd never seen humans, they could just club them, walk up to them and club them on the head. Like, mm. no, because they didn't know what was going on. Mm. But what they think also, especially from a megafauna's perspective, we wouldn't look very, yeah, we wouldn't look very scary. Yeah, yeah, and they're just saying because the thing, most other predators go, oh, that's really big. Yeah, look at those teeth. I know, but we we could use tools and we could yeah. use boot behavior, and apparently, we could also use we could probably a lot of time target the younger ones, which mm. are pretty big, so mm. good meal. Now they thought that the reason why we still have elephants, for example, is that. They knew what humans were like as a predator. They co-evolved. Mm. Humans came out of Africa, went into Eurasia fairly early on. The problem is a lot of this is there's not much evidence of this hunting, mm. and that's partly because in humans a long time ago, in New Zealand where people came, I suppose, a lot later, and there was the Moa, the giant birds. There is evidence. It's like these big pits full of birds that got butchered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the word Moa is like in Polynesia means chicken and other languages. Like really? It's, we know that's happened there. So what probably happened in Australia and America, and it's very controversial, causes a lot of fights, everything from when Tim Flannery wrote that book, The Future Eaters and things like that. A lot of people get upset about it sometimes because they say those Indigenous people should be living in harmony with the... Oh. But it's not, you know, it's a, such a simplistic sort of argument, isn't it? Like, What's that called? Kind of noble savage thing? Yeah, well. I know, it's I like, know. It's, it's pretty condescending. It is condescending. It's funny it's the more the, the woke type thing. Yeah. But it's this thing, of course, if there was a huge readily available food source, of yeah, course you're gonna, you're gonna there's going to be, that, that's going to be targeted. And, and as you say, if there's a long gestation period, yeah, it's going to be easy to wipe them out eventually. That's the thing. That's what they think. It's why they got wiped out and the species that did get wiped out was the ones with very long gestation periods. Mm. And hence it was it would be very hard to once they started going into that spiral. Mm. Very, very hard for them to recover. The elephant is the largest land animal alive, and its huge size makes it virtually invulnerable. No hunter is big enough or powerful enough to pull down a full-grown elephant. It's funny you say that thing about elephants, you know, maybe learning. Uh, I read a thing recently about someone who studies elephant calls, and apparently there is a specific human call in elephant language. Yeah. You know, a specific trumpet that means, oh, God, here they come. Get, yeah. Get out of the way. Whether that's learnt behaviour over the last couple of hundred years or that's kind of been innate yeah. and maybe was what led to the survival beyond the other large mammals. Who yeah. Knows? Well, that's the thing. I think that's because they, they have co-evolved with humans. Mm. Like elephants evolved in Africa, humans mm. evolved in Africa. Yes. There's also elephants and humans going to eight. Elephants were in Asia. Humans got to Asia fairly early on in the feast. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so there was all this sort of co-evolution going on. So it's quite probable. Mm. And, again, the reason why now they're sitting is because, you know, there's people with machine guns and, like, mm. there's a whole lot of poaching and there's desperation, like, trying to 
Like, you know, these are large animals, so local people, we, everyone loves elephants until, you know, they destroy your home and, mm. <laughs> and trample you or whatever. They, they're quite, like, if you don't get anything out of them and then some say, oh, they've got ivory, we can get that out of them. So that's mm. why they're so threatened now. Yeah. Is it true that they're as smart as I think they are? Like, they seem yeah. to have very analogous depth of emotion to yeah. humans. Is that true? Well, they're complex animals. Like mm. I said, they've got very good communication. Mm. And when you're really large, it means that you can communicate at such a low frequency that you can send your message a long, long way. Yeah. They've got complex behaviours. They have really good senses of smell. Yeah. They have um, really good senses of hearing. Their eyesight's not too good, but the other senses are really good. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, again, it's so hard to say. If something's intelligent or not, it's like crocodiles, which are not considered by animals, but they they know when the fishermen go down to the the river at mm. the same time for three days in a row. That's what like one day, two days, third day they eat them. Like that's how. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, oh wow, those crocodiles are smart. Well, that's no, it's just it's rec- recognition. There's mm. a lot of sort of instinct in there, but I would say elephants can learn mm. things very quickly. Again, that's why they were used in circuses and mm. all that. Hannibal used them to attack Rome. They were used in India in warfare, and yeah. people tend to form bonds with them, it seems to be, when they're in captivity. So if if all the things that we seem to think is intelligence probably is there, but, yeah, I don't know how more intelligent they are than yeah. a lot of other animals. Carnivores tend to be more intelligent than herbivores. It seems like a lot of what we perceive as intelligence comes from their very close social groups and the, and and what seems to be a real depth of um, interaction between sisters and aunties of babies yeah. and, you know, when, yeah. that, that when one dies there seems to be an element of grief or um, – yeah. So maybe it again, it's just that back to that cortisol thing. Of, well, it's of cortisol, connection. but again, you, as you point out, there's a bit of sociality. They've got yeah. quite complex social structures. Yeah. Um, and again, that's partly for survival. Again, that's partly to keep those babies yeah. alive for such a long, long time. Elephants do live a long time, well, they're, they're better because they take so long to get there. Yeah. And so again, you've got a lot of time for learning and yeah. all of that. So if you've got complex social structures, it's hard to say what's more intelligent. Than others, actually, what we think of as intelligence as humans often gets changed around. So mm, mm. we now talk about that oh, there's not just one type of intelligence. Some people are really good at mathematics, and, but some people are much better at artistic or mm. creative type or emotional intelligence. Emotion, and the, yeah, emotional intelligence gets talked about. Yeah, you know, there's certain members, especially in the university, that might be very, very high on one of those, <laughs> but not very high on the other. <laughs> it's the same in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of very smart people emotionally. Yeah. Mm. Yes, <laughs> not not that not all there. Well, yeah, but that's also sometimes that's because they they may be like I know when I've met with people in mathematics and physics, there's a there's a gene connection between being on the spectrum and being yeah. that, and so there are people that do that. So that's why they might not come off as an mm-hmm. emotional intelligent. But again, but they are brilliant at what they do. So that's what. Yeah. And the university can be a bit of a well. It, I hope it stays that way. <laughs> that there's an environment for these type of people. It seems to be that they're getting a lot more non-university people to sort of come up and sort of. Cut. I don't know if they they get those sort of people. Like, um, isn't it interesting when people who don't understand an institution come in and start dictating the? Uh, it's it's very much the same again in comedy where you yeah. suddenly you know a lot of the promoters, a lot of the bookers, and a lot of the producers are 
don't have a funny atom in their body. Yeah. And yet they're the ones decreeing what is and is not funny. It's oh, very yeah. strange. Yeah, we have people who have never taught and <laughs> never done any research telling us to do, what they have to do teaching research. Insane. So, yeah, so it's, it is insane. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had an encounter with an elephant? Have you ever met one? I, in Africa, yes. Yeah. I remember seeing a bull closer than I think I should have been. Mm. Like it was just over, like it was over there. And I thought, but I just thought that elephant could run so f- that could come and crush me just like. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I'm going to look at it and go away because they, they're formal animals, like, especially those, in, those big African elephants, the big mouths. Yeah. They're massive. They, yeah. Again, <laughs> when you talk about something as big, you've got to really see it. In the flesh, yeah, to see how big it is, especially an, an animal like an elephant that's been in storybooks and on your bed sheets since you were yeah. a baby. You know, I wonder how many people, when they think of an elephant, they're, they're thinking of the actual elephant or they're thinking of you know the drawing of the elephant. Yeah, so to see the thing, you know, in its all its, it's awesome nothing more magnificent than seeing a bull elephant on the savannah. Mm. It's quite in, quite incredible, and, and then you see the groups of the, the cows and the calves, the mm. females. Yeah, amazing. Beautiful. Sort of they are beautiful animals. I travelled once from South Africa right to Kenya, so I saw a lot of the sure. different things. And I, you know, I was in places like the Serengeti, and I was in places amazing. like and places like that. And you do see these animals, and they are amazing. In Africa, you see this diversity. And you see like lions, and and then you also get things like you know, driving a jeep cross and. Got close to hyenas, and the first thing it says, "Well, I could smell them before I got near them." Like they stuck so much. <laughs> when members of the pack meet, they greet one another with extravagant smells and licks. Each animal knows its fellows individually, and each knows its place within the complex hierarchy of the pack. This elaborate social structure with leaders and followers and the highly effective system of communication on which it's based enables the pack to hunt most effectively as a team so that the hyenas, small though they may be, are among the most effective killers on the plains. I'm so interested by um, pack hunters, you know, hyenas, African hunting dogs, all the rest. You talked before about the intelligence required to do what they're doing. Yeah. How, How does a group of say African hunting dogs, there's such a coordinated attack of you stand here, we'll chase, you know, a group of zebra into you, you'll be ambushing. Like, is that communicated just through language or instinct? Like, how how does that happen? Again, a lot of these animals tend to also be hierarchical in their packs. Mm. You've got a position. It's almost like a position on the team. The dominant animals lead, and then you have all the other animals fall into place. A lot of animals teach Hunting to mm. their young. That's why, like lions, particularly, will bring back sometimes a, a young antelope or something that's not quite half dead. Half dead, and the young can yeah. play around with it. And I think that's the instinct, like like cats being half dead things, and the whole playing with it. Mm. Playing is actually hunt hunt training. Really, yeah. I know we look at it and go, "That's that's so cool." It's that. We just kill the thing, like, but yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But they, it's the training of them. It's just, I mean, it's it's just mind blowing. I remember, I think it's in Planet Earth. They, it, it's one of the first drone footage. You really get that perspective of like, whoa, this is a, a gridiron tactic. It, it seems like they all got together beforehand and assigned positions, and the, the ability to do that without complex language is just so fascinating. Wolves have really complex. Pack structures mm. like they have alphas who gets to breed, who gets to do what, and all of that, and they really coordinate it because again, 
they're hunting animals so much bigger than themselves. Yeah. And they're pursuit predators, like a lot of cats, for example, are more ambush-type predators, like wolves and all that. You know, they might get up close, but they will run, and then they'll coordinate, and then they'll try and isolate. And that's why they tend to be more intelligent. And again, those behaviors, especially with dogs, is that what we've used them to round up sheep and all yeah, of that. They're basically... We've just taken behaviors yeah. and um, modified them. And some of that is genetic because I know that you can also breed behaviors into animals. Like yeah. my, my parents have a Kelpie, and like yeah. she was a Kelpie from a farm. But what she would do when they would take her to the dog park is she would round up the other dogs. <laughs> like, again, <laughs> you know, it's that sort of behaviors that are bred into them. Yeah. So some of it's learnt, and some of it is sort of like selected for. Yeah, like, sure. They hone it in, chaining on the hunt. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The mammals were very quick indeed to fill the space that was left in the economy of the sea. Truly specialized mammalian swimmers appeared, and some of them grew to be bigger even than the biggest of the dinosaurs. The forelegs have become flippers, and the back legs lost. Above a certain weight, leg bones would simply break. But whales are less hampered. Their bodies are not supported by legs, but by the water. So they have grown into the biggest animals that the world has seen. We were talking before about the intelligence or the perceived intelligence of elephants. And, you know, now we're getting into whales. I guess with that longer lifespan, then there's more opportunity for more complex interaction. Yeah. Well, you first you got, which probably plays a part, long gestation, mm. i.e. developing the actual offspring in the womb, so it's got more time to develop. Dolphins and orcas are meant to be very, very intelligent. Yeah. There's a lot of argument about the big whales, because they're not hunters again. They just eat all that quill and yeah, all of that. just open their mouths. <laughs> but there's all that, that the minky whale, because there's always that argument. People in our culture find whale hunting abhorrent. Like, it's mm. not, because we don't do it. Like, mm, mm. back in the old days when we did oil, like, um, did off the Eden coast and all of that. Oh, yeah. okay. It was Moby Dick. It was, it was part of the culture, but mm. now it's no longer. Mm. In Japan and in Norway, mm. people say, like, why are you so upset about hunting a minky whale, for example, the most common species? When they say they're like the cows of the sea, mm. it just seems a very, for me, it seems like a very cool method to harpoon a whale. Like, yeah. I've got no problems with people hunting and eating food. And I can even see the point, like Inuit people hunting whales, because that's their culture. And it's, as long as they don't 
overhunt them. Yeah. yeah. I saw a documentary about Inuits hunting and it's like, yeah, obviously there's this, this cultural bias and of, of, oh my God, they're killing a whale. But by the end of it, I, who am I to have a problem with it? It's not, none of my business, yeah. but I, you know, for want of a better word, I didn't have a problem with it because that, you know, it was a once in a, 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 a year event. Every part of the whale was used for, Clothing and housing and food yeah. and on and on and on. It wasn't someone on a giant industrial boat firing a, a harpoon into this thing yeah. and dragging it on board. You know, there, there was – it didn't have that same industrial brutality to mm. it. It's subsistence too rather mm. than like you see Japan and all that. People aren't depending on wow to to survive. Like, no. It's not- and also the Inuits, they, like, they were risking their lives for it. They were really working for it. Yeah. It wasn't – you know, it, it, it was akin to a Kalahari Bushman <laughs> – running after an antelope for 10 hours. Yeah. Like it was like, oh, you kind of earned it. <laughs> yeah. And it's a thing. It's it's just hunting and, you know, it's just mm. culture. Like, because, mm. um, you know, as whales are seen as intelligent. But normally it's more like dolphins are meant to be seen to be intelligent and all of that. People have funny ideas about dolphins. They just think they have this romanticization of what they do. And really some of their behaviors are not <laughs> like they, 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 you know, they behave as badly as like NRL players do on. I've heard on the, this, and you're going, "Well, you really, you're gonna, you're gonna say, oh, aren't they beautiful animals of the sea? Well, <laughs> you know, they they are animals, and they are intelligent, and therefore they do pretty nasty things. It's like yeah. when people get shocked, oh, look what those chimpanzees are doing to that monkey. Yeah. Thinking, well, well, you know, like they are pretty closely related to us, like. <laughs> And we do some pretty heinous stuff. Yeah. So that's <laughs> what do you, what do you think there what do you think the romanticism connected to whales and dolphins comes from? I, I the mystery of you know it it seems it might be a cultural thing. They I suppose they look impressive. Mm. I must admit, like when you see like uh, I've seen a couple of times when you see a whale off the coast, like if it, even it's in the distance, mm. you think, wow, that's impressive. Mm-mm. That's an impressive thing to see. Now there's a lot of romance that, oh yep. They save surfers from sharks. They've got this whole thing. They're heroes. And mm. like, but basically, orcas are big, <laughs> big dolphins. And look at that one. Just took out a seal. Oh, it's confronting really. seeing how they play with their food. It's really, um, there's a, the, the, again, it's it's probably just, you know, similar to what a cat's doing, but yeah. there seems to be a level of sadism to it that's yeah. very confronting. Yes. And that's the thing. So I don't think people go, oh, orcas, aren't they such beautiful animals of the sea? Like they, they, tend to, they used to call them killer whales. Like, yeah. This causes a lot of controversy, doesn't it? Dolphins in captivity. Yeah, and, I'm not into it at all. Well, no, I'm not really. Like, I have to say, captivity is good for like breeding animals and all that. Uh, I can't, I can't imagine you know places like SeaWorld and all the rest existing in 20 years. No, yeah, no, especially no. after that Blackfish documentary. Oh yeah, no, that was it was quite confrontative. Very really sad, wasn't it? Like when they horrific. Probably had PTSD because oh, yeah. from, from when it was captured and then when the way they um. Their fins start yeah. drooping. You know, yeah. it's almost like erectile dysfunction or something. Yeah. Like it's completely not v- virile or working at all. Yeah, anymore. it's hard to say. Like to make an absolute judgment because again, maybe they're happy. But you think they are very intelligent. They have big brains. We, we know imprisonment for us is the worst thing you can do. Well, like awful. you talk about here, prisoners going. What's the worst thing about jails? Just doing nothing. Some of them yeah, say, yeah, like, yeah. It's like sitting in your cell. All the time. Oh, 100%. Like, you're, you're a dolphin. You really, really got complex behaviours. 
can you be in a large swimming pool for like a whole time? Well, I, I would argue even if it's even if it's an elaborate one. You know, I mean, this is why people freak out even about house arrest. Even yeah. if you put it in a place that ostensibly is luxurious and has multiple rooms and yeah. all the things that you want. Eventually, I mean, this is this was the great burden of lockdown. Yeah, I mean, everyone was in their homes, but everyone was losing their minds, yeah. even though they were surrounded by their stuff. Um, so the idea that you could put a dolphin or a, a killer whale into some kind of tank and keep it entertained with activities and stuff yeah, and yeah, expect you it not to go insane. Yeah, no, you, you wouldn't. I mean, but I, I, I would tend to kind of extend that out to most mammals. I mean, you know, you've got predators <laughs> Oh, in you zoos. see the pacing. The, the pacing, pacing yeah. it was – it really depressed me. It was too much to bear watching this tiger pacing its cage and kind of stretching its like ah yeah. like stretching its mouth open. Yeah. And of course, there's this ethical issue of, you know, I mean, I once asked a keeper like, so obviously you're not chucking live animals in there for it to hunt, and they're like, no, no, no. like animal activists would freak out. Yeah. And so like, I I do understand that, but on another level, where's the animal activist advocating for a being that has evolved to be an apex predator and not being able to do its one thing that it's I. Uh, but I said the true animal activists would just freak out that the animals in the cat to be yeah. involved. But you're talking more about, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily the animal activists. It's just like his society. Mm. So, oh, it's just so cool. Mm. Again, it's detached from the society from where their own meat comes from. Like, um, oh, yeah. People aren't going to see like cattle getting bolts in their heads and go, oh, that's feel like a steak now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's, that, that, that's essentially why I had to give up meat in the end. It was like, I couldn't hold on to that cognitive dissonance anymore. Yeah. And there's no judgment, like there's no judgment call. I miss meat so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I understand why people can't go there in their heads and they have, there has to be that separation. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. Meat comes in plastic, don't you know that? Yeah. Like it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> what's that? Homer said, pork, bacon, ham. Pork, bacon, and ham. <laughs> it's all from the same animal. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so again, I suppose, it's, I remember this is this is probably completely off topic, but it's related. Years ago, we had when people used to go to the university campus and societies were active. The, the South Pacific Students Association mm. decided to, to have their own thing, and they started to put a whole pig in the spit. And it was confrontational because it was a whole pig. It had a snout and it had the oh yeah, and there's a pole through its mouth and out of and, its and it's just seeing that. And it was actually it ended up being spectacular because they ended up getting local kids to do the. Judicial had some Samoas and yeah, Tonga yeah, and all, yeah, yeah. dancing and all that. But I remember seeing a student scream when they saw the pig on the spit. Yeah. Like it was a dead pig, like, mm. but it was just twisting around. On the, but I just saw it when someone screamed, I'm going, whoa, it's just your poor ghost with a bit extra on it. Like, oh, head and down. Like, it's a bit of dead animal. Like, you, how are you living in society? But, again, but that's the thing. You're not, they don't associate that. They said, oh, finally. That, that mythical animal that Homer was yeah, talking yeah, about, yeah, magic yeah, yeah. animal, was there. In- yeah, it, it is, it's the gross consumption of meat that disturbs me. It's it's not the it's not the consumption of meat. It's the it's that inability to recognise where it comes from. Jaws are clenched on the throat, and a wildebeest is throttled. By the time the others arrive, it's dead. You see animals killing other animals, but that's what they do. Like it's not pretty. We saw a whole lot of footage. The antelope being taken down by the, the hyenas. You know, you saw various acts of carnivory. Yeah. A lot of people would find that distasteful. And it's, it's interesting to see it in the zoo that really should they be given like live animals? It, it can, 
don't know, I do a lot with research with the analytics committee. I know they would not accept something like that. There's always the mad herpetologists always go, oh, these, these snakes only eat live rats and things like that. And then, yeah, some people get put off by that. They, they want someone else to kill the rats and then they give the rats to the... Yeah, it's... Yeah. There's also a safety thing because if the snake's not that particularly hungry, the rat can give it a good chomping itself. But, yeah, sure. Um, but, again, it's what animals do in the wild. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cats like going killing things. It's, it's, it's true. Like, they, they want to kill things. It's... Oh. And it's not that they're psycho, well, maybe. <laughs> maybe <a little> bit. <laughs> they are a bit, aren't they? <laughs> they just, uh, they just want, they just, you know, it's the thrill of the hunt is part of the behaviour. And then dogs have managed to do it by like getting them just to run around and yeah. chase chase balls and things like that. That human centric kind of disgust for the hunt. It's it's really interesting because I when when I used to work with kids, I would show them these documentaries all yeah. the time. And no child ever had an issue with it. Ne- not once. Not once did they. And they saw some really confronting stuff. You know, that footage of wildebeest drinking from the lake and the crocodile just leaping out and tearing oh, them apart and all of it. Yeah, so horrific when you think about it. Oh, yeah, but the kid seems to understand that there is an inherent justice to it. Mm. That it's not malicious. Yeah. It's not evil or nasty or any of these human projections that we put onto it. It is that animal is going to starve to death if it doesn't do what it's got to do. And the only time a kid ever would have an issue with it was when a parent would come in, catch the tail end of some hunt and go, oh, my God, and then suddenly the kid learns, oh, that's bad, and then develops a complex about it. Yeah. But it's like we almost have to learn that it's not like Disney, so it's gruesome or whatever. Yeah. But to me it seems like a very, I don't know, detached or immature perspective to freak out about it. Yeah. It's this dissociation, which is really growing, actually, in a lot of society, dissociation with the natural world. Because mm, mm. if you don't understand these things, how are you going to care for things? Totally. Like, how are you going to know that what we're doing to the land or what we do to animal populations or what we do for all these other structures? And most of the time we're not out there to go kill animals, but the indirect and someone says animals are getting killed or they're not going to be able to live anywhere or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's this real dissociation and, again, is it going to be increased by this COVID? Like, mm. like you know, you don't, you don't get to see many wild animals in your in your room like yeah. when you've been in lockdown for so long. So an urbanised population. Yeah. And Australia is really urbanised. We think of it, we advertise ourselves as the bush. Most people don't live there. Like no. they, live in, they live in these cities. They're good that we have a lot of green space in the cities, I have to say. And we have bushland very close. But mm. Actually, even a lot of kids aren't exposed to that. Oh, no. The, the average, I mean, you know, urban kids, it's like an ibis, a pigeon, a seagull, yeah. a dog. Again, when I was with the kids, very occasionally we'd see some kind of quote-unquote brutal nature bleed in, like, you know, a, a pack of uh, ravens attacking an injured bird, like yeah. basically pecking it to death and then oh, feasting yeah. on it. And again, they were never they were never traumatized. They were just fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. I I just think that there's a real disservice given to kids, but also just humans in general, where they don't allow themselves to witness that stuff. Yeah. And this is why these things are important. And yeah. you gotta watch these documentaries, get an appreciation for animals what they are. Of course, we look like lions, tigers. They look beautiful. Like they're beautiful looking animals, but they're hunters and they <laughs> yeah. kill things. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, again, uh, but 
full circle back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, just that gaining an appreciation for the ease of your own life. Mm. You know, when, when, when I was with the kids watching the crocodiles and the wildebeests, you know, I remember saying to him at one point, it's like, the next time you want to complain to me yeah. about how something's not fair, just remember you can take a drink of a glass of water and not have some prehistoric dinosaur leap out and tear <laughs> yeah. your face off. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't had to evolve eyes on the side of your skull to watch out for predators as you bend down to take a drink. <laughs> oh, just hoping that you they take one of your mates first. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts? Oh, no, it's been fascinating looking at the old... He had very flared pants in those. In yeah, that, yeah. In that one. And the high top. <laughs> so, no, it was, it was it's fascinating looking at the old documentaries. And it still stands up today, yeah. that footage. It's yeah. all really, really good footage. There's not much conservation in yes. here. In some ways, it was still important because you sort of... If you know what you want to conserve, you've got to know what it is. He talks a lot about climate change now. Like, of course, that wasn't on the main screen now. He's he's there talking about climate change, overpopulation, a lot of these things. He's getting all of these issues yeah. out there, and he's getting people a real, real love of these. I suppose, yeah, empathy. When you think of natural history presenters, you think straight of him, you think... Well, there's really no one else, is there? <laughs> well, no. well, I said they, they moved on. There was the Steve Irwin yeah, and things man. like that. But, and they have children's shows and all that. He's yeah. also, they have natural history shows. Like, they don't have his credibility that they yeah, have. But I, th- I think his authority, and but also the quiet reverence. Yes. It's, it's kind of like, no, you come here. And it's interesting with this series, uh, I have I can really see a evolutionary change in him between this series and the next. Yeah. Uh, I think this series, he is a presenter, and then after this series, he's David Attenborough. Yes. If, as I said, the most important thing is it gets people in, interested in nature. You've got you to have some empathy. Yeah. Firstly, to have some empathy, you've got to know what it is you're having empathy with. Someone has empathy and say, well, that animal is amazing. Even the animal might look cute. Or that animal yeah. is majestic. Or that animal just is so interesting. Wouldn't that be a shame if that wasn't around? Mm. And that's that's probably the important thing. It, it encourages people to go in, whether they take a very active role, and like I have, and actually gone into the field, whether they've taken a role more that they're just interested, anything from what they'll support through philanthropy, even just what voting choices they make, mm. can all play a part. Let's just say because we're really concerned about the natural world. Yeah, and that's and that's that, that's his legacy, and it will it still is. And so it's not just his legacy because it's ongoing, so yeah. it keeps on going on. So. People respect when he starts saying things about climate change. Mm-hmm. For example, now people respect what he says. He's that he he carries that authority with him. And I said, yeah, he was that sort of gentle presenter. He wasn't like Steve Irwin would have grabbed that seal and put it out his head or something. <laughs> but um, but yeah, he has that great sort of gentle sort of yeah, and a beautiful man. Yes, thank you, man. No problem. That's so fun good. again. Thank you once again to the brilliant Associate Professor Matthew Crowther for our awesome two-part conversation. And as always, a big thanks to Sean Allen, my partner in crime on this project. He is my co-producer, co-editor, and the sound wizard behind all of the music that you hear in every single episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please take 30 seconds out of your day to leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Every little bit helps in getting this podcast out into as many years as possible. Next week... My guest is primate curator from Sydney Zoo, Lou Grossfeld. We talk all things monkey and ape, 
as we sit down together to watch episode 12 of Sir David Attenborough's Life on Earth. Thank you.